will know that we've been in this new teaching series, which has only got one week left. Next weekend, uh, we draw it to a close. And Duncan's going to be helping us think about anticipating the kingdom coming in all of its fullness and all of its completeness. So really looking forward to next weekend. But if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been thinking about the kingdom as coming or being established wherever, whenever, and however, three things, the rule, the reign, and the presence of Jesus are embraced. The kingdom comes every single time we welcome King Jesus, the king of the kingdom, and his priorities and his values into the room. Every time we allow the values of Jesus to be our values, we welcome those values into our space, the kingdom comes and the kingdom is established. That affects our speech when we speak with kingdom values, the kingdom comes. It affects our actions when we act and when we think in line with the kingdom the kingdom comes. We've discovered over these four weeks up to today that the kingdom is to be sought, it's to be understood, and it's to be lived. And this morning, we're going to be thinking about the kingdom being pursued, being pursued. Now, I've very deliberately chosen for this morning the word pursue because I think it's very clear from all that we've looked at in the scripture verses that we've looked at, it's been very clear from our teaching series that if we're going to seek the kingdom, understand the kingdom, live the kingdom, then that is not a passive activity. If we're going to experience the kingdom of God, then we cannot be a spiritual couch potato. Is anyone a spiritual couch potato? Uh, No one's going to own up to it, are they? But we cannot be a spiritual couch potato. If we're going to embrace these kingdom values and this kingdom living, it takes some effort. That's the truth. It does take some effort. Now, I think the word pursue is a great word. It's a verb, a doing word. It means to chase or to follow someone or something with the, atten- with the intent of catching and attaining it. It's all very difficult to say. To follow or to chase someone or something with the intention of catching or attaining it. It means that we need to be a people who are actively seeking. The word pursue means that we need to be a people who are actively engaging in or actively striving for a particular goal, objective, or a course of action. You see, if we never pursue the kingdom, we won't experience the kingdom. If we're somebody who never embraces the rule, the reign, and the presence of Christ, then we're never going to experience the kingdom. If we're not somebody who has trusted in Jesus as the king of the kingdom with our lives, then we won't experience the kingdom. Graham made that point so clearly a few weeks back, didn't he? In order to experience the kingdom of God, you need to have trusted the king of that kingdom who is Jesus. And that's the invitation for us this morning when it comes to the things of the kingdom is to proactively pursue it. Do you remember that Jesus was once teaching his disciples? They were up on a mountainside and he shared the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. It's better even than this one. It was called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the middle of that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about a whole load of blessings. He's speaking about his kingdom and he's describing his kingdom as being something of a topsy-turvy kingdom which is full of blessings. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Or as it says in some translations, they will be satisfied. And in that same teaching, the Beatitudes, if you know it, or the beautiful attitudes, I think that's a really lovely way of describing the Beatitudes, the beautiful attitudes, Jesus also said this in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. 
Well, let's read all of them, um, but we're going to focus on two this morning. Uh, This is Matthew chapter 5, let's read from verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went to a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus here is describing in his sermon what it looks like to be part of his kingdom. He's describing what his kingdom looks like, and it's a topsy-turvy, upside-down kind of a kingdom. But here in these two verses, particularly verses 6 and verse 9, he's describing what it looks like to pursue, to chase after, to, to strive for kingdom values. And he says very clearly, when you pursue the kingdom, you will be blessed. That's the very clear message. And in the Beatitudes, this message really is profoundly simple. If you, prefer righteous, if you pursue righteousness, or right things, we might say, verse 6, and you pursue peace amongst all those other Beatitudes that he mentions, verse 9, then you will discover a roadmap that leads to blessedness and transforms your life. But it doesn't stop there. By implication, all of this means that also it will transform the lives of others. And all the time, this is going to bring glory to God. If we engage in this pursuit for the kingdom, God gets glorified as his rule, as his reign, and as his presence is welcomed. What a win. Lives are transformed, including our own, and God gets glorified when we pursue the things of the kingdom. Now, when Jesus is challenging his disciples to pursue, to hunger to thirst for for righteousness, and to pursue peace... He's speaking into that deep longing that all of us have within us. All of us want to be in a right relationship with God. And Jesus has made a way for us to be in that right relationship. Without Jesus, there is no way to be made right with God. But secondly, Jesus is also speaking to his disciples and to us, therefore, too, about being in a right relationship with other people. I don't know many people in life who really love being in a difficult, conflicting situation with somebody else. There are a few people who delight in it, but most of us don't. That desire to be in right relationship with God, that desire to be in right relationship with others. But Jesus is also speaking into uh, this call, in fact, for, to live for ra- a radical commitment to justice in our world. Everyone wants to be at peace with God and others, but two, everyone wants to see a bit more fairness in the world. We want the world to be a nicer place. Is that correct or not? Is that just me that thinks that? Okay. We all long for a bit more fairness. To be right and personally at peace with God, we first need to be grateful recipients of the grace of God. And that's what we're going to remind ourselves of as we come to the communion table this morning, that God has made a way for us. He's lavished his grace upon us so that we can be in right relationship with him. Without the grace of God, who could stand? I certainly couldn't. Without Jesus' death for the forgiveness of my sin, I'm absolutely stuck in the mud. 
You see, God's grace is not only amazing, as we've just been singing about, but it's abounding, it's lavish, it's unending. Here's a truth for you to take home with you today. If you know and love Jesus, there's never a moment in your entire life when the grace of God is not sufficient for you. I wonder if you need to know that this morning. If you know and love Jesus today, there is never a moment in your life when God's grace is not sufficient for you. God gives you exactly what you need, when you need it, and then some. Jesus invites us to wallow in his grace daily. And he says if we wallow in that place, we make sure that we're right with him, then we will feel filled, we'll feel satisfied. There's never been such a great love. We are blessed, we can say this morning. Now, I wonder if that all sounds a little bit self-serving to you. But that's not where righteousness ends. It's not all about me, Jesus, despite the fact that we are personally blessed. But two, pursuing righteousness and seeking to live right before God and pursuing peace is also about others being blessed. This satisfaction that Jesus speaks of in verses 6 and 9 of the Beatitudes is not just about some sense of personal fulfillment so that we can have a harmonious relationship with God and live happily ever after, although it is that. But two, our pursuit of righteousness and our pursuit of peace will have, and it's promised in what Jesus says about the kingdom, it will have a transformative impact on the world that's around us. What a wonderful thought that somehow my pursuit of living right before God, somehow, even if in a small way, even if it's just a drip in the ocean, somehow makes the world a better place to live in. You see, righteousness, understood through the lens of the Bible, can be defined in several ways. Firstly, righteousness is a state of personal, inward moral integrity. It's characterized by living in correct alignment with God's principles and with his commands and his standards. There is something personal about righteousness. But two, biblical righteousness actually has an outward ethical edge. Living a life that reflects and pursues genuine commitment to justice, to compassion, and to fairness towards others. Now, biblical righteousness goes way beyond just mere outward compliance with religious rituals and somehow ticking religious boxes. As we were thinking last weekend, it encompasses both a heart and a head transformation that leads to actions that will honor God. And somehow, in living that kind of a life, in the process, we contribute towards the well-being of others in the world too. When Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, he's making an invitation, which is just a continuation of the invitation that he's already made in verse 6. Part of living righteously is to pursue peace in the world. In fact, all of this is more than an invitation, did you notice? I think actually it's a call. It's a divine summons, if you like. It's, it's a, a life-shaping commitment before God if we'll accept it. God calls us to actively engage in fostering peace in our immediate relationships with our friends and our family and our neighbors, but too with the world more generally. God calls us to, to promote peace for others, not just so that we can enjoy the absence of conflict in our own lives, but so that others might have the joy of experiencing less conflict and difficulty too. By pursuing righteousness, Jesus says we are blessed and that we will be satisfied. 
By pursuing peace, Jesus says that we're blessed and that we'll be called the children of God. What a great place to find yourself in in life. What a great label that we're able to carry around if we know Jesus and we're pursuing his kingdom. We can say, I am blessed, I am satisfied, I am a fulfilled child of God. I'd love to leave here today knowing that truth a bit more. That I am a blessed, satisfied, fulfilled child of God. Now, why does Jesus call us a child of God here? Because by embracing the role of peacemakers, we reflect the very nature of our Heavenly Father. To desire to make and to pursue peace is in the very DNA of God, and therefore it ought to be in our DNA as his children, like father, like son, like father, like daughter. I wonder how this week, as you've looked at the news, how you've responded to some of the horrors that we see on our news every single day of the week. Do you see in the news this week of that horrific attack on that family in Clapham? And the suspect seems to have legged it and seems to have gotten away. He seems to have evaded police custody, at least he had last time I checked. I wonder what your response is to that. You see, I sat there just thinking, this is horrific. This individual needs to be caught and he needs to be punished. Justice needs to be done in this situation. And here he is getting away, seemingly scot-free. I wonder as you've turned on your news every single night of the week and seen millions of people, whatever your political persuasions might be on this particular issue, but seen millions of people living in a state of absolute desperation, what it's done within your heart. For me, it makes me cry out for them. I stood on the door before and between services and just looked over the road. If you lift your eyes enough as you walk out of here today, you'll see a demolition site over the road. And it just stirred in my mind the thoughts of all the images that I've seen of twisted and broken metal and broken concrete in Gaza. People living in absolute desperation. Something within us cries out for for justice in that situation, however it's done. In the news this week, people starving to death in Sudan whilst I sit there with plenty and we see leftovers on our table. I wonder what that stirs within you. Something within me cries for, for justice. And you see, that ought to be happening every time we see exploitation. It ought to happen every time we see an injustice or we see some kind of predatory behavior. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but children seem to impulsively cry out, it's not fair when they see an injustice. Why do they respond that way? Well, maybe it's because they're hardwired to respond that way, because they're made in the image of God as we all are. And that cry for fairness is just an impulsive cry for justice. And I want to encourage you this morning to know that if that's your heart's cry when you see injustice and exploitation, then actually it's a cry that echoes with the heart of your heavenly Father, because that's how he responds when he sees such brokenness. Proverbs 17 verse 5, whoever mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. Isaiah 61 verse 8, for I, the Lord, love justice it says. I love justice. I hate robbery and I hate wrongdoing. Proverbs 29.7, the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. We sometimes sing, don't we? Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love as you have loved me. Break my heart with what breaks yours everything I am for your kingdom's cause, as I go from nothing to 
eternity. God, break my heart with the things that break yours. Well, that is a brave prayer to pray. But it's the right prayer to pray if we're children of God and if we're wanting to pursue the kingdom. If we're wanting to pray, your kingdom come, by implication, we need to be praying, God, would you break my heart with the things that break yours? And my prayer for me this morning, maybe it's your prayer for yourself, is God, would you give me the courage to pray that prayer? God, break my heart with the things that break yours. You see, it's a scary and an exciting prayer to pray all at the same time. It's scary because if it's a prayer that we pray with all the integrity and sincerity, then it can only lead to transformation. And it's exciting because if we pray that prayer with integrity and sincerity, it can only lead to transformation. It's terrifying, it's exciting all at the same time. Now let's be really real for a moment, shall we? We know that we can't do everything about everything that's going on in the world. I for sure have got some limited capacity to do too much about some of the injustices, perhaps in Clapham or or Gaza or Sudan. As I look around the world, I see that there's far too much hurt and pain and injustice in this world than I can ever deal with, but I can do my bit, whether that's little or whether that's great in the grace of God as he enables me. You see, if we can find the courage to pray, Lord, would you break my heart with the things that break yours, then in praying that prayer, what we're saying to God is, God, would you open up my eyes and would you lift up my head so that I can see the things that you see in this world, things that otherwise I might overlook. If we can find the courage to pray that prayer, then what we're saying to God is, God, would you give me your heart of compassion? God, I know that my heart can be so terribly cold. Lord, would you warm it up and would you change it from being a heart of stone and would you give me the compassion that you have? If we can find the courage to pray that prayer, then in essence what we're saying to God is, God, would you deal with my apathy? Would you deal with my apathy? Darkness feeds on apathy. It delights in indifference. Now, if ever you've experienced a broken heart, you'll know that the pain is great. It's even unbearable. And when our hearts are broken, there are two responses. One is to dwell in that brokenness and allow it to spiral into great darkness. The other is to say, okay, this hurts and this is unbearable, but I wonder if I can turn this into something positive. You see, what happens when our hearts is broken, if we can allow it to go somewhere positive, is we end up being deeply affected enough to find a way to bring about positive change in our circumstance. When our hearts are broken over some cause or over some issue, have you ever found that you end up praying with greater conviction? You end up doing what it says in the scriptures and you end up praying without ceasing. When your heart gets broken over some cause or issue, you end up being moved into action. God gives you a a holy hurt. God gives you an almighty ache. Or maybe he gives you a blessed burden. You see, when our hearts get broken, if we can make that a positive thing, we get awoken. We're we're unable to sit still and just stand by whilst Satan seemingly seems to be winning. He doesn't. We know the end of the story. It's confession time. You know, I can be so guilty of living an apathetic and a comfortable life. I'm guilty. But I think what I've discovered is this, is apathy and and comfort never once moved me into action. You know, the more luxurious my life gets, 
the less I seem to care about the suffering of others. More luxury doesn't seem to make me more caring. Those pain-free, trouble-free days that I endure somehow don't seem to transform me more into the likeness of Christ, certainly not as much as the difficult days do. And then there are those days when I skip through life carefree. Well, actually, they don't teach me terribly much to strengthen me and build up my muscles so that actually I can make it through the obstacle course, which is called real life. You see, if we can treat it positively, pain can purify, and encountering difficulty actually can give us a different perspective, sometimes God's perspective. You have no idea what God can set in motion through a simple act of bold obedience. I wonder what God could achieve for you and I if we just take one single step forwards as we wrestle with this whole theme. Maybe it's better to hurt with a purpose than it is to exist without one. What if God's greatest blessings come from God's greatest breakings in our lives? Break my heart with the things that break yours. It's not an easy prayer to pray, but it's the right prayer to pray. And if we find ourselves praying it, then know that you're praying it in really good company. Think of Moses for just a moment, a a Hebrew boy watching as God's people are beaten and oppressed and in slavery. He's so heartbroken by the mistreatment that he sees that he gets to speak truth to power. Let my people go, he says. One single step forward, one brave, courageous act of speaking truth to power. And there's a change of trajectory. Think of David, a small boy, just observing a nation at war. He's seeing the battle coming to a standstill, and Goliath is busy trash-talking his God, and David's heart is broken, and he comes up to Goliath, and he says, who are you to come against my God? One brave, courageous act changes the trajectory of a nation. Think of Nehemiah. He's got the best job on the planet, a cushy job, a comfortable job in the palace, and Then he hears about all the brokenness that's going on in his home, and it literally breaks his heart. He cries and he weeps. And at the risk of his own life, he goes to the king and he says, King, can I do something about this? One brave, courageous act changes the trajectory of a nation. And then there's Micah. Micah, the Old Testament prophet. His name is brilliant, by the way. Micah means quite literally a question. Who is like God? What a great question. Micah, who is like God? And here's a man who knew what it was to have his heart broken, so heartbroken about the state of the nation that actually he calls God's people to live differently. He says, would you please turn and would you please be like our God? Who is like God? And he says, Micah 6, 8, who he has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. That's the call. That's the invitation for us today. To act justly, to engage in actions that promote fairness and rightness in the world. Maybe standing up and confronting systemic injustices. Advocating for those who are poor and marginalized. Standing up against oppression. That's Micah's call. Micah says, would you guys please love mercy? Would you pursue the compassionate heart of God? Would you show mercy and kindness to others? Would you mirror the boundless, lavish grace that God has shown to us? And God says, would you walk humbly? 
And you know, humility acknowledges our dependence of God. We cannot make a jot of difference in this world without God. But we can recognize our imperfections. We can submit to his guidance. You see, walking humbly in a journey of discipleship is not a a passive stroll, but it's an intentional journey. It requires a surrendered heart. It requires seeking God's will. And it requires us to align our lives with his kingdom purposes. God, would you break our hearts with what breaks yours? I wonder if you're willing to pray that prayer with me this morning. It's a scary prayer. And it's an exciting prayer all at the same time. I wonder if I can invite the worship group, come and join us. We wanted this morning to create loads of room and space for response. And our response this morning will include us taking communion. As we take the bread and as we drink the wine, we're going to remind ourselves this morning that God has paid the great price for us. His grace is so lavish that he gave his one and only son that we could be in relationship with him. And as you take communion this morning, I simply want to encourage you to thank God for his gift of grace to you. It's lavish. He gives you everything you need to be in relationship with him. But as we head into communion as well this morning, I want us to, in a sense, be praying that prayer, God, would you break my heart with the things that break yours? You see, this morning, if we're going to pray that prayer and we're going to mean it, we're going to be called maybe to do something about human trafficking. We're going to be called maybe this morning to do something about the plight of the refugee. We're going to be called maybe this morning to stand up to racial injustice. Maybe today we're going to be called to do something about the suffering in this world caused by war and conflict. Maybe this morning God is going to Give us a heart that others would know clean water and shelter somehow in this world. Maybe for some of us, we've got skills in finance and God would say, would you help others with their budgeting? Maybe God has given us today a heart for the orphan and he says, would you do something about the plight of children in the care system? Maybe today God's going to give us a heart for people who wrestle with addiction Maybe today God is going to give us a voice to speak for those whose marriages are in a tough and a difficult place. A heart for the depressed, the downtrodden. Maybe today is the day when our single step forward in this whole area is to get involved with food poverty and engage in the amazing work of the food bank. Maybe today is the day to join in with or to celebrate the fact we've already joined them with doing this amazing work around domestic violence with the Water Lily Project. Maybe today's the day that we volunteer to get involved with Link Up as we get alongside the lonely and the isolated. I don't know what God might say to you today. But as we come to the table, let's thank him for his grace. But in response to that grace, let's offer ourselves afresh and say, Lord, would you break my heart 
with the things that break yours. Terrifying and exciting all at the same time. But God will give us the strength. Can we stand together? We see the King of glory Coming on the clouds with fire The whole earth shakes The whole earth shakes I see His love and mercy Washing over all our sin The people sing The people sing
that you poured out yourself for us on the cross, that your heart was broken on our behalf, literally. Help us, Lord, to respond to you with all of ourselves. Deep within us, Lord, if there's anything, if we're holding things back from you, holding part of our heart back from you, help us, Lord, just to to know what it means, to know what it looks like to offer everything to you. You gave everything for us, Lord. Jesus, help us, Lord. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid, bearing all my sin and shame. me 